The following podcast contains explicit language. What's good, everyone? You're listening to the Post Bougie Podcast for the week of January 6, 2013. This is GD, uh, the proprietor and founder of Post Bougie. Here, as always, with my play cousins, Jamel, who is a staff writer at the American Prospect. What's going on, Jay? Not much. And uh, my brother from another mother, Joel, who is a reporter down back in Tampa. Back, he left the ACL. Um, what's good with you, man? I'm good, man. Good, good to be back with you. It's good to hear your voice, man. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been too long. It's been actually. a minute. It's been a minute. And, and happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we have two special guests with us today. First is uh, Aisha Harris, who is the browbeat assistant at Slate. What's up, Aisha? Hey, how's it going? Thank you for being with us. Uh, and we also have uh, Sarah Jackson, who is assistant professor of communication studies at Northeastern University in Boston. Hi, thanks for having me. We only have one subject this week, uh, and that's going to be Django Unchained, the much-discussed Quentin Tarantino movie revenge flick set in the antebellum South. Uh, that has sparked a lot of conversation, which I've been looking forward to reading in a lot of smart conversation and a lot of inane conversation. Um, and hopefully <laughs> this is more the former than the latter. So I guess we should just open it up to the guests first. So Sarah and Aisha, I don't know which one you want to take this first, but what do you guys think of the movie? I personally loved it. Um, I, I think that it's probably in my top Five of Quentin Tarantino films. I'm not sure where on that scale. It's kind of a toss-up between Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained, but um, in terms of like between one and two. Uh, oh, wow. But I I really loved it, and I the more I think about it, the more complex I think it is each time I think about it and hear other people's opinions. So I'm going to be you know the the discontent here but i i was not a fan of the movie okay um you know i uh there were things about it i liked and the more i think about it the more i remember specific scenes where i thought it was really profound but as a whole i wasn't that much of a fan of the movie part of that is probably the framework that i bring to it as somebody who sort of studies media academically which is sort of always a downer mm-hmm. um <laughs> but i'm also i also admittedly am not a quentin tarantino fan although i loved inglorious bastards um so i was hoping that i would also love this because i loved inglorious bastards but i just i was underwhelmed by it what about inglorious bastards did you like that you didn't like about this movie you know i think what i've figured out as I've been trying to articulate what it is, is that Inglorious Bastards was able to serve for me as just a fun revenge flick about World War II and the Holocaust. And I think I wasn't able to view Django as a fun revenge flick about slavery because there's such a dearth of serious films about slavery in Hollywood as compared to the Holocaust and World War II where we have dozens and dozens and dozens of well-written, told by first person, made by filmmakers, films about World War II and the Holocaust so that we have like a sort of larger cultural narrative and we can have a film that's just sort of a fun vengeance film. I think I went into Django wanting there to be more history and more politics. And of course, I realize that's unrealistic, probably for a Quentin Tarantino film, but I couldn't feel happy about it just being like this fun kind of cool with cool symbolism here and there revenge flick given that there's not a larger context I think in our culture and in pop culture around understanding slavery I kind of sat there feeling a lot of anxiety about how 
audiences who don't know the history and don't know the racial politics and who already have a lot of misconceptions about race and slavery would perceive um, parts of the film. That was actually, um, that echoes a lot of what Jelani was saying. Did, did everyone read Jelani's New Yorker piece? Yeah. yeah. Jelani, Jelani Cobb wrote a pretty uh, pointed excoriation of Django Unchained. Jelani is a history uh, professor. He is the director of University of Connecticut's African American Institute of African American Studies. Um, and he thought the film was abominable. And his critique is a lot like Sarah's. He felt that there was a lot of history that people were ignorant to that, you know, that would not have been corrected for the record. Or that would have been, their misconceptions would have been exacerbated by this movie. Jamel, you obviously very much don't feel that way. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I, I think I don't see the movie in the same way. Um, mm. So as a, if you read the film as alternate history, and I think that's how Jelani reads it, as an alternative conception of what happened during the antebellum period, then it is full of the problems that you, Sarah, described and that and Jelani wrote about, um, that it is sort of divorced from the ex- existing history, that it uh, has a curious lack of agency for a lot of the African-Americans that show up in the movie besides Django and his wife, Hilda. We read the piece, the problems Jelani identifies are there, if you view it as alternate history. So where I think Jelani is... Where I think Jelani goes wrong, and where I don't... And you too, Sarah. Basically, he's implicating you too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I didn't agree with everything in in Jelani's piece, but I did agree with his points. Right, right. The main main thrust. But so where I think think Jelani's piece was lacking, and so where my, my disagreement resides, is in this idea that Django is a piece of alternate history. Johnny and the piece sort of hand waves that away, but I don't think you can. I don't think I really don't think you can hand wave away the the fact that or not the fact, but what I think is the truth of the movie, which is that it's not an alternate history of <clears throat> slavery and the Civil War, but rather it's an alternative mythical history of that period and uh, that draws on westerns and modern westerns. Westerns, and when viewed in that light, the movie I think makes a hundred times more sense and choices Tarantino makes suddenly come in to clear view. I know Joel watched the original Django as, yes. uh, was it, did you watch it after the movie or before? I did. I watched it after, uh, in fact, the, the day after. Right. So did I. I, I also watched the original Django. On, I did you, too. Yeah. Yeah. When you tweeted that, Joel, I, I said to myself, you know, I'll do that too. And then I also watched a couple other movies, either rewatched or watched for the first time that Django and Chang clearly bought, borrows from. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I rewatched uh, Gun with the Wind. I rewatched uh, Blazing Saddles. I watched the uh, Fred uh, Williamson movie from 75 called Boss Nigger. Uh, uh, Can I just say real quick that, like, so Boss Nigger has an obviously ridiculous title. And um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's subtitle, actually, I love. The subtitle for the movie is uh, White Man's Town, Black Man's Law. Uh, which, which are lines said in the movie. There's a character who, whenever he arrests the white person, he says, but this is the black man to law. It's great. Um, oh, that's next to the Netflix key. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But I will say, actually, so it's on Netflix DVD, but you have to look for it under Boss. They're not... They're oh, like, oh, that's corny. Oh. Um, but I will say that when you, when you when you strip away sort of the hokiness, it's actually a really fun and enjoyable and solid exploitation movie. Mm-hmm. Like, beginning to end, I enjoyed every minute of it. Mm-hmm. And not in, like, an ironic sort of, like, ha, ha, look how bad it is. But, like, it's actually really good. Mm-hmm. So, that aside, 
there's so much of Django that borrows from these movies, and there's so much of Django that is a deliberate inversion of sub- or subversion of, especially Birth of a Nation and Gone with the Wind and The Searchers, um, movies that sort of stand tall in the in like a American film, mm. and movies that all have noxious racist messages. And so, like one one great, I think one really great example of this is in The Searchers, John Wayne is uh, looking for his niece who has been kidnapped by native americans and so essentially traveling the american west looking for his niece to rescue her um really clearly in django we can see how that's inverted right right Mm -hmm. that that django is looking for his wife uh who has been kidnapped by savages and in this case the savages are the slaveholders Mm -hmm. in american film slaveholders are never presented as savages they're presented as misguided Mm -hmm. they're presented as blind to the suffering that's around them but never as monsters and i think that's a really deliberate choice i think the movie is filled with those deliberate choices which is why you know when i try when i evaluate it and i I think i'm evaluating it on its own terms i I see nothing I, i see lots to like and very little to be disappointed with Wow. Well, I'm going to talk less tonight because I feel like I have a lot more that I could learn. I'm still sort of turning over in my head what I think about it. Like, I mean, bottom line, I found it to be very entertaining. And I wouldn't have even, like, entertained all these discussions and, you know, Facebook threads and Twitter, you know, back and forth if I didn't find it to be, you know, really entertaining. Sort of to Jamel's point, like, I don't think, like... I just don't think that you can just sort of write away the idea that it's an alternative history. Like, the way I was explaining it to somebody the other day, I was like, if you were uh, reviewing, like, the new Karate Kid or the next Karate Kid, like, you couldn't really, like, make a judgment on, like, how well Jaden Smith did unless you had seen, like, the version with Ralph Maggio. And, like, so that's so that's kind of how I feel about Django. Like, you, I feel like it, it's you, you sort of have to watch the original film a little bit to be sort of informed on why Quentin Tarantino made some of the decisions and choices that he did, if that makes any sense. Um, because, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, Broomhilda, she didn't have, you know, she's lifeless. She doesn't, you know, she's basically muted. Well, I mean, if you look at the original film and go back to Maria, who's sort of the uh, the female love interest in that film, like, she basically says nothing. I mean, if anything, you could argue that Quentin Tarantino breathes life into a character, into a relationship that wasn't there previously. And can I can I add real quick that the, the Broomhilda whipping scene in Django is to lift it directly yes. from the scene, from the, from the original movie. Like, there's a scene where Maria, the opening scene Maria being whipped. That's the whipped. opening scene, right. Yeah, it's being whipped, and it's the exact same scene. Mm. The thing that's really complicated about media texts is that when people interpret them, they bring so much of their own um, sort of politics and desires and all these things. So depending on, you know, who we talk to and who we ask and what they know and how familiar they are with Quentin Tarantino movies and how familiar they are with Westerns as a genre and how familiar they are with the institution of slavery, like people are going to feel completely different um, about this film. But it, I want to recognize that I actually agree with Jamil in that there were a lot of things that I thought were really smart inversions of sort of traditional narratives that we see around race that have been wildly problematic. Um, so, of course, I agree that, you know, there is there's stuff in the film that is new that we haven't seen before and that challenges the sort of images we saw in Gone with the Wind and Birth of a Nation and all that, right? Um, but I think at the same time, we also need to um, well, we don't, but I recognize that, <laughs> that I recognize at least that there are also parts of the film that actually reinforce to me what is sort of the very problematic 
neoliberal, like post-racial ideology where, for example, in the black exploitation films you mentioned, and I know Aisha mentions this in the piece that she wrote about, um, like Bosnia and those other movies, those films, the, the main black characters, first off, those films were made for black audiences, not That's white right. audiences. Mm-hmm. And they also included a call to arms in which the main characters took up other black characters in the film and armed them and helped them fight as well. And in Django, you saw this, and of course, this comes from the Western genre, right? In Django, you saw this rugged individualism where it wasn't Django who was trying to help any other slaves or was invested in any other way in the well-being of any other slaves, right, besides Brumhilda. But it was, and this to me is a, a very old, old character, the Django's white male counterpart who is constructed as the one who is so offended and morally outraged by slavery and really without whom Django couldn't have accomplished any of the things he accomplished. So I still felt like there was a sort of paternalistic relationship between those two characters that, in my opinion, is not progressive at all in terms of... Um, how relationships between whites and blacks are represented on screen and the fact that Django didn't make a call to arms he had that opportunity you know the scene where at the end um so there's that scene at the beginning where Dr. Schultz hands the keys to those enslaved people and hands them a shotgun and free yourself and like take revenge film Django has an opportunity with a a set of enslaved black men who are in a cage being carted off to work in a mine until they die to sort of like free them and empower them and like tell them to like go, you know, liberate themselves. And he doesn't, you know, yeah. and I was, waiting. I, I was waiting for that. Cause that was one thing I was trying to figure out when I was writing one of my pieces and it wound up not going in cause I couldn't get any ver- verification of what happened because my no one's memory could really remember. But were the slaves in that cage at the end chained together? Yeah, I couldn't figure it out. I, I, I can't figure. I, can't I couldn't figure it out. It out. I read it because I, read it. I didn't open the door. Right. But I could not remember if he had if they were chained within the cage. Well, he didn't actually open the door. Remember, one of the men who was oh. transporting them went over and opened the door and, and tossed in the dynamite. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Tossing the dynamite and then yeah. had left the door open which gave me the impression well the only reason he would leave the door open is if those men are secured down right mm. and then walked away yeah that's true yeah i i gotta say the christoph christoph walter's character is the one character that i can't there's like there's i i think he might end up being sort of the most interesting character because i think depending on how you read him he sort of is a critique of white paternalism right because he's not sort of, <laughs> right like on one hand, he's the one who provides Django with the means to, you know, rescue rescue Brumhilda. On the other, Christoph Waltz doesn't begin the movie as like I mean he he says he hates slavery, but he's willing to more he's willing yeah, to take advantage of the situation. Like his 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 out his his moral sensibility isn't necessarily outrage at the beginning. It's really outrage till near the end of the movie, uh, frankly. And yeah. you know, I the, the movie I don't know the movie's sort of like. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about how the movie like put forth Christoph Waltz because, in a lot of ways, like it doesn't really do much to challenge that paternalism. On the other hand, Christoph Waltz dies. At, I mean, he dies not even at the end. Like at the at the end of the second act, he is killed um, in part because he 
he is not able to deal with what Americans are, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's just, like, driven. He just It just drives him insane, essentially, and he kills Candy and then has promptly killed himself. You don't think he's, but, like, you know, maybe heroic from that, though? I, f- I found that to be, like, a really selfish... Yeah, I don't think it's supposed to be heroic. Yeah. No, okay. I, th- I think it's supposed to be... I think it's supposed to be... He, he makes a mistake, right? right? He's... Right. And, like, the, the scene where um, Django essentially okays the dogs going after that guy... And Schultz is sort of horrified and like had almost breaks cover. Mm-hmm. I think again, like sort of underscore. And I mean, that's seen Django sort of like speech where he's like, you know, I've I've seen worse than this. Like my right. my friend here just is not accustomed to right. the ways of our people, like of Americans. <laughs> right. I think mm-hmm. you know, again, is there to to mm-hmm. sort of present Schultz as someone who's like ultimately naive about what he's gotten himself into. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's it's like it's really it's hard. that that's a character I keep on tossing it around in my head because I have no idea what to do with him. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know in the beginning when he says, you know, I think I personally find slavery abhorrent, but I'm willing to kind of you know use it to my advantage. I thought that was actually kind of a, like a smart little. Um, yeah. They they made him kind of someone who I like. I was distrustful of. I think for most of the movie. Real quick, Jean, nobody asked you what you thought of the movie. Hey, what did you think? <laughs> of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> who cares what I think? He loved it. No, I, I loved it. No, I thought it was. I thought it was. I liked it so much that I actually wondered if I saw a different movie. Like I, um, I, I saw Jelani was like outraged, and you know because Jelani is somebody I respect. I was kind of like, did we see the same damn movie? Like I was just, it was one of those things. Like, am I wrong here? Like, I, I had that thought too. You know, yeah. you know like all these really really smart people. Um, you know, I know who were kind of. Like, Can I ask a question about the context you saw it in? I've I've taken a poll of uh. people who people who were offended or people who didn't like it and people who really did like it and from the friends that I have polled and this is an unscientific poll <laughs> the people who really liked it saw it in theaters in places where it was majority black theater yeah that was and me. the people who were feeling very apprehensive about it saw it in theaters where it was a majority white theater which I did and I I wonder if that affects the experience of how we interpret the film in terms of our own sort of acute awareness and anxiety around how racial messages might be being interpreted um, by the audience around us, where in one case there's like a sense of solidarity with the the other people watching the movie, and in another case there's sort of like this sense of like fear and apprehension about how it's being interpreted. I know I saw it in uh, at the Court Street Theater in Brooklyn, which is like you know considered the hood theater, or whatever. Um, and it was the, I would say the audience was maybe like 70, 30, 70 percent black, thirty percent white. Um, it was I saw it Christmas Day it was opening you know opening night, and so um, the theater was packed. It was I mean it was, I would say it was like mostly Negroes there, but I mean you used to know especially the scene where Django whips the dude. I think you know I mean it was just like <laughs> I, I love cathartic. that scene. Yeah, I mean it was the thing. I was I, you know I, I was. Whip that honky. <laughs> <laughs> what what was it? What was the, the kind of makeup of the audiences that you guys saw it? In? I mean, I saw it in a, in a fifty fit, like basically like half and half. Mm. Um, yeah, and it, yeah, it's it just like as far as my position in the theater, the people around me were black, mm. but the, it was like very obvious. It was like a like a pretty evenly mixed crowd. I um I actually went to a, a press screening. Oh, so I went to sleep. I went to a press screening. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had gone to like an a normal theater screening. What was the reaction of the press screening? Well, first of all, I think there were maybe three or four of us black people in the entire audience, in- including myself, and um, 
I, 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 the reactions, there were visceral reactions, and I couldn't really tell if it was from black people. I'm a, it sounded like it was from white people, but I don't want to sound like one of those people who's like, you sound like you're black or white. But <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like it was like, there's one black woman, or no, not black woman, there's one woman, I don't know who she was, I couldn't see her, but she was laughing at the most inappropriate time. <laughs> and not inappropriate in the way, not like in the way of like inappropriate where you know, a slave gets like when the slave gets uh eaten by the dogs that kind of thing okay. like appropriate where like absolutely nothing nothing you could ever construe as being <laughs> funny right maybe she <laughs> just had the spirit they're just, they're just on, on a horse she's like <laughs> you know what? crazy for that one quentin <laughs> no i had a few of those in my theater as well and i couldn't help but wonder if it wasn't like my theater was probably 90 percent white and it was next to fenway stadium in boston um and i had a few like why are you laughing nothing funny happened but then i wondered if it wasn't people being nervous about the content of the film and they were laughing because they were nervous yeah that 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 could be that that could be why she kept laughing. I I, I wasn't very aware. I, I wasn't totally aware of other people because I was like trying to take notes and and you know pay as much attention and remember as much as I could possibly. So I only I only remember like the the visceral kind of like collective gas when they when he's hanging upside down and yeah. he's and that one freaking lady who just kept laughing. <laughs> 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 I wanted to add something real quick that a friend of mine pointed out to me about um, sort of the progression of Django's story, and I think this is really interesting and again very deliberate. Which is that the movie begins and Schultz, is, Schultz and Django are essentially like co-protagonists. Mm-hmm. Schultz dies at the end of the second act, um, a point where the hero is supposed to be coming into his own, but mm-hmm. not, but it's not quite that yet. In the third act. Um, Quentin Tarantino shows up with his hardball Australian accent, and he gets blown up. Yeah, and I think I I I thought that was really I think that's a really important moment that that's the moment when the movie becomes fully Django's. Um, So it's interesting because like on one hand, if those slaves in that in the um in the cage were not were chained up, then like Django does not you know really free them. But sort of like in the film's narrative, this is really the moment when Django himself becomes. Unchained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could also make a case for if they were chained. This is a horrible case to make, but <laughs> if, you if could make were, a whack case. If, if, if it were chained inside, because this is such an individualistic storyline, Django's like, "Look, I got myself out of this shit. You guys can figure out how to get yourself out of this shit." Right. I think he's just so focused on getting his his wife, and that's the only thing he cares about. That that whole notion of him, and I, I know instinctively I wanted yep. part of wanted it to be like let's uplift people and and uplift the race, but then another part of me is like, well, that shouldn't be a burden that he also has to bear at the same time. Like I I, I can't I, you know reconcile both of those those. Except things. I think to go back to sort of my original critique and probably Jelani's critique, but I don't want to speak for him. It's not reflective of what actually happened right because we know that there were actual slave rebellions that were Mm. organized i mean right and eventually abolition was a social movement that took people including enslaved people on the ground helping one another organizing now of course Mm. that's not the film that quentin tarantino made 
But that sort of goes back to the point I was trying to make before about how, like, I feel like that is a problematic ideology in the film, that there's this rugged individualism to the point where it's each black man for himself, when in reality, that is simply not how history has played out in terms of the progression of the race, right? Right, I mean, and that's that's one of the things that I, I keep kind of trying to make sense of. I mean, you can make the argument that Django wasn't in any of those spaces long enough to have to have been the person who was like the catalyst for like this rebellion or every black person in a speaking role was pretty resistant the only black person in the movie who didn't who wasn't like resistant was two was sam jackson's character which we should get to yeah um because that character in and of itself is like a whole what comedy. about the two women like there i feel like there was multiple and the women, women on the first characters the woman on the first plantation I think. yeah they seemed pleased as pie with their <laughs> Yeah, am, am I mistaken? Was there was there not a, a, a black woman or a, a black slave on like a, a swing? On a swing, yeah, she was on. A yeah, swing. okay. Uh, yeah, that so, first plantation they went to, there was a bunch of black slave women just like walking around, swinging on swings, drinking well, that, tea, and I was like, "What is going on?" Well, well, I, the way, they, they the, were also in the mob that showed up. Yeah. When he, uh, yeah, when he whipped the dude. Yeah. 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 And they were kind of yeah they they were like with uh, Don Johnson's character. Um. I was wondering, I mean... And I that was Don Johnson? That was Don Johnson, yeah. God. Yeah, I didn't recognize him. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Don, I mean, he didn't have on his, you know, pink uh, butterfly collar or whatever, but you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but I, I, I was wondering if that was a deliberate attempt to kind of contrast with... Because Candyland was supposed to be like this just place where like all these draconian punishments were meted out, and this is really kind of macabre um, and baroque. Like, well, just, just like that kind of cruelty was every day. I was wondering if that was... At the first plantation we see was set up deliberately kind of to be horrible or you know but not as but not as horrible as candyland was supposed to be like i thought there were two black women slave characters at candyland who seemed to be enjoying their lives so there was a woman who did not have any speaking role but i thought she was construed to be candy's mistress she's in the scene where the original mandingo fighting scene she's Mm. lounging on the couch dressed like a 19th century prostitute drinking her drink and then there's also that woman who's dressed like the french maid who in a later scene is shown eating dinner at a table with all white men and i was disturbed by both of those characters because while they didn't have any speaking roles they were both these like over sexualized like, dressed-up, sort of, like, sexed-up dolls, black female characters who are slaves who seem to be enjoying their lives. And I was really... I mean, we can talk about Quentin Tarantino's gender politics on a different podcast for, like, a 100,000 times and, like, in general, right? But I was disturbed by sort of the implications of that, given that I loved Broomhilda's character, but I felt like those characters sort of undermined the reality of the victimization that black women experienced in slavery you know so i i have i have a theory about those characters so like there's the trope that blacks are gonna come after our women and what's interesting about the movie is that you never see white men with any sexual interest in white women in fact there's only one white woman in the whole movie mm-hmm. um yeah his sister right Candy's sister the mm-hmm. only sexual interest you see white men express is for black women mm-hmm. And like you know, they're 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 black women are like you know enslaved as prostitutes, like they're dressed up and 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 uh, and in the whole nine yards. And so when I saw that, and keeping it sort of in the context of like commentary on like film tropes about the period, it seems to fit pretty well. But admittedly, this was sort of just like my like my exegesis based off of like my my, my frame for the film, which right. is it's a it's a film about all these other films and all this other 
the America's traditional take on this period of our history in film. I, I mean, I, I totally disagree with that because I think, like, I couldn't possibly disagree with that particular idea about those characters more because I thought those characters simply reinforced age-old stereotypes about, like, sort of the willingness, the hypersexual willingness of black women that that white slave owners used as a justification for the constant rape and sexual abuse of black slave women. And I felt like Quentin Tarantino didn't know how to show black women experiencing what they actually experienced in slavery, which wasn't being dressed up in fancy clothes and getting to sit at the table with their masters. It was mass rape and abuse, right? And so he put, like, these characters in that... I mean, I would like to, like, believe that there was some sort of attempt at that being a subversion of something, but to me, those characters seemed like characters we've seen before in very problematic ways. Hmm. Have you guys, any of you seen um, Mandingo or Drum, the sequel to Mandingo? Mandingo's on my list. I plan to watch it this weekend. Okay, well... Sarah, you would absolutely loathe that movie because uh, maybe it's because I had seen Mandingo before seeing uh, Django Unchained. It felt so much less sleazy than Mandingo is. Like, Mandingo is... The way it... I think that might have been a call uh, uh, hearkening to Mandingo because the same things happen. The the white slave owners, they they flat out say, like, oh, I don't want a white woman. I want want my my black slave. They they screw them. They they have... um, one of the main characters in Mandingo, his father, who's played by James Mason, is trying to get him to marry a white woman. And he's like, I don't want a white woman. Like, I just want this slave that I've, quote unquote, fallen in love with. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, granted, you, you cannot still make the case that Tarantino's not doing anything to subvert that. And he's just merely calling calling in, in, images up from that film. Mm-hmm. But... That is what black exploitation did. For all of its progressiveness in terms of, of black power and things like that, it still also, to some extent, reinforced different stereotypes and reinforced uh, these these negative trails, particularly of, of women and black women. So, see, see Mandingo, it's... Uh, that's the most bizarre endorsement ever. It <laughs> <laughs> yes. make your skin crawl, and it's so sleazy, but but it's 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 worth seeing. You probably want to like take eight showers after watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Roger Ebert gave like a, a notoriously scathing review of it back in 1975. So it's it's pretty bad. Hmm. So what you're saying, this is a great date movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of, I guess characters that are meant to confound i mean we have to kind of talk about sam jackson's stephen who is i guess the 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 most powerful slave on this plantation who in a really interesting moment kind of drops the facade there's a scene where uh stephen hips candy to the fact that Django and schultz are really there to free broom hilda and stephen stops 
his accent like disappears. He calls Candy by his first name. He's like, cut the crap, whatever his name is, or whatever. And he's and he just kind of he's clearly impl- it's implied that he's the person really running the plantation. Like Candy's just this kind of this sadistic dilettante, and Stephen is the person that actually makes everything run. And so, and it's a really difficult criticism to kind of dismiss. Like this is a movie about a guy who's a freed slave who ends up squaring off with another black dude at the end. Like the villain that he who becomes the person he has to, to vanquish is another black guy. And I'm not sure what to make of that at all. I mean, Stephen is such a fascinating character and i think just as an aside one of the things that's so weird about the movie is just how freakishly well acted it is like yeah. there's not one <laughs> bad performance in them like from any of the the main characters at all right and in like uh yeah leo leo dicaprio's like phrenology oh my like, god that was, was terrifying oh, that <laughs> whole bit yeah. was as yeah. scary as any moment that Heath Ledger had as a joker i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure that scene where Leonardo DiCaprio hit his hand on the on the table so hard and it started bleeding i wouldn't be surprised if that that his hand bleeding was an accident because i i read that i read that as well yeah i read that he he actually hurt yeah, his hand like i i watched the movie and i was like it looks like he just accidentally cut his hand and then didn't break character and just rolled with it and that was i mean <laughs> that scene was, I mean, and I'm, you know, a lot of people are Leonardo DiCaprio fans. I always kind of find him like, eh, he's fine. You know what I mean? He's like, whatever. You know what I mean? But I thought that scene was like legitimately like, it was like, he was like Mephistalian like, yeah. presence. It was really, really unnerving, you know, when he like banged the table and like that whole phrenology speech was like. I mean, when you're thinking sort of like classic literary representations of Satan or mm-hmm. of Lucifer, it's yeah. like very, it's very, that very much in that vein. Yeah. Sort of like outward appearance of. Of opulence and gentility, but then like you don't even have to scratch the surface that much. Right, it's just absolutely. Like pure malevolence. Absolutely, yeah. It was that. That scene was just a lot. But I mean, as an aside, I mean, it was weird because Sam Jackson's character, like, I feel he's he's doing an Uncle Ruckus impersonation. <laughs> but it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I felt like that too. I felt like that. Right, too. it was like it was like. I mean, it felt like that was what he was like referencing. But at the same time, like it was too hard to dismiss him just as like self hating house slave or whatever the, the stereotype is, right? Like it, it seemed it's too simplistic to call him like an Uncle Tom, right? But at the same time, like there is the point where the main black character squares off with another black character at the end, as if as if like Stevens were upholding the order right yeah yeah you know I thought it was interesting that the last two people Django killed in the entire film was a white woman who he killed cartoonishly, yeah, no, she, right? She, she flies, flies across the room, the room when he shoots right. her. And another black slave who he essentially tortures before he blows up. And I just, I mean, there were so many things about the film that I liked, and I haven't even talked about those, but I feel like I'm playing devil's no, I, advocate here because everybody else no, 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 no. <laughs> But I was really like, why are the last two people in this revenge flick that's supposed to be about, you know, getting revenge on people who who were holding up the institution of slavery are the two images we see of Django at the end killing, basically reinforcing, which to me is like a pop culture fear about the threat of black men on white women, right? And then this idea of like black on black violence. Like these are two narratives that are really dominant in our culture and representations of black Mm -hmm. men that I think produce a lot of fear in American culture um, towards black men. And so I thought that particular choice to have him have those be... It wasn't so much that he killed them in the movie that bothered me, but it was that those were the last two images we see of him killing in the movie. But I guess, is it is did he kill Stephen or did he just, like, essentially destroy... You know, a, a plantation. I didn't. You know, I guess maybe I just didn't read it like that. So maybe you know that that probably is on me. But you know, I'm thinking more in terms of the fact that you know, as he's walking away, he's you know, literally blowing up 
you know, um, something that, you know, is a symbol for, you know, all that oppressed black people at that time. So I don't, you know, I guess I didn't say, well, hey, I wasn't going numerically. Like, he kills this white woman and then he kills, you know, Stephen, but more, you know, he does away with this entire plantation, you know? No, and I agree with you. I mean, the scene at the end is powerful when you see the actual plantation house being blown to bits. I mean, it's a powerful scene. And, you you know, I wanted to cheer at that point in the movie but, yeah, I mean, he killed Steven. He shot both his knees out and then left him in a house with dynamite, you know? And, again, <laughs> like, I don't, you know, I, I don't mind that Steven got killed because that seemed a natural, right. you know, right. oh, evolution to the film. But I, I just couldn't help. I mean, I guess if the question is about, you know, Sam L. Jackson's character and is it, like, a character that turns sort of the Uncle Tom stereotype on its head because it turns out he's really running shit at the plantation or is it a character that, for white audiences, would reinforce this idea that black folks are also somewhat responsible for slavery because there mu- there were black folks that like participated in this? Right. And this. You always, and see, I, you always hear. I this. think that that yeah, I think that that narrative you hear unfortunately often, and it's a narrative that has been used to sort of take some of the responsibility. Um, Mm -hmm. of slavery off of white people and say, well, you know, there was these house slaves who loved their masters and there was also black people enslaving other black people. And, like, you hear people use this as, like, a justification for why, like, white people aren't solely responsible Mm. for this. And so I guess that was my... I I mean, I hated Sam Jackson's character, so I suppose it was well-acted because I hated his gut. Mm. But, like, I also saw how it could be interpreted in a way that's very regressive in some ways. I had that same initial gut reaction uh, as you did, Sarah. Um, but I also have to wonder, like, to what ex- to what extent do we do we judge a film based on the ignorance or stupidity mm-hmm. of the audience who's going to watch it? Because for part for me, after ruminating over over this a lot, I can't help but wonder that the way that um, Steven's character is portrayed is just very, not caricatured, but, like, extremely evil and, he- like, heightened evil could be, and then the fact that it's he's the last one and it comes down to be- being between the two of them, does that not speak, and maybe that's just coming from my, from my being a black person and maybe being able to see it this way, could it be that this is Tarantino's way of saying that slavery was so horrible that it made black people some black people turn against each other or it, it was just like it was every person for themselves in certain instances this is this is what slavery can do to people it can make them want not not want the best for other people like them because they're so focused on on individualism and, and wanting to be free for themselves right, if you read steven's character is kind of like if he'd carved out like a modicum of influence in this world right why he would want to uphold it right he'd want to perpetuate it right that's not neat right that's not a neat he clearly had amassed in the context of this world like a lot of power for a black man right so like why wouldn't he be fighting perpetuate that order i mean i don't want to keep you guys too long but i wanted to touch on carrie washington really quickly who i think did a lot considering you know she didn't have much to do um i thought that one scene where schultz when they're speaking in german and uh django is behind the door um, I thought the scene was incredibly well done, and I thought, you know, considering the the very dramatic tonal shifts in this movie, I thought that was like one of the that scene felt kind of real. Like it felt like yeah, it didn't feel like kind of cartoonish and stagey or whatever. I thought she did an incredible job. I mean, I obviously wish that there was more speaking roles for women in the film yeah. in general, including mm-hmm. her. 
But I thought, given the limited screen time and the limited lines that she had, I mean, I, I loved her character. I want her character to have, like, her own spin-off movie, you know, um, that where we learn about her life and how she learned to speak German and, like, all that stuff. I thought she did a great job. I, I also, I, I'm a sucker for Carrie Washington. I, I love her. Um, and I, I, th- I think that I also wish there was more to her, but I also like the fact that it's, it's not a lot, but at least we know that her character was still trying to fight and get away, yeah. even oh. though she, she didn't know that Django was coming back to look for her. Like, no, that scene where we're first introduced to her, like, in real time, and she's in the hot box. We know that she's right. still trying to escape. So she still has some sort of agency, even if she's not successful mm-hmm. at doing it. She does have some agency. Right. Can I just say real quick that in the theater I, I watched it in, when the hot box scene came up, I heard someone say out loud, did they really do that? <laughs> <laughs> like, you have no idea. I know, I know. <laughs> Wow. No, just to that point about the, the violence in the movie, though, I thought the violence that was kind of uh, enacted upon white people in the movie was very different tonally from the violence that was enacted upon black people in the movie. I thought the movie, the violence against black people was much more kind of somber and taken much more seriously. Even the scene that everyone keeps talking about, the scene where the dude is ripped apart by the dogs, most of that was actually really implied. Like, you don't actually see a ton of, you know, it's not, we see a little bit of of blood and we see the dolls kind of tearing at something yeah it's uh the quick quick movements of the camera right exactly and, but you see but, everyone reacting to it right you see everyone like you yeah. see schultz them make, make, mentioning the schultz that schultz is horrified by what he's seeing right and jamie fox as django was kind of like trying to be stoic through the whole thing um and you see the other um mandigo dudes who were locked up who were like chained up kind of reacting to it in horror too but that's all implied, right? Um, and so, but the idea that this is a horrible thing that's happening is like really, really, I mean, it's made very clear, right? Um, that's one thing I actually really liked. See, now I'm going to tell you one thing I liked about the movie. <laughs> I thought that Quentin Tarantino did a really excellent job of playing with audience emotions. Mm-hmm. And I thought that one of the way he, ways he did that is that he would have these like chuckle worthy, like comedic, cartoonish sort of violence or, or other type of sort of. Co- comedic scenes right before he would have these devastating scenes of real like real time not cartoonish severe um crimes being committed against um black bodies and in the theater i was in which like i mentioned was a majority white theater what happened was that people were laughing out loud and literally 10 seconds later the theater was so quiet you would have been able to hear a pin drop um, the first scene when you saw Broomhilda's character being whipped was one of those scenes. Um, the scene where um, the man was torn apart by the dogs. The scene where Broomhilda comes out of the um, hot box. And then it seems like there was one other scene. But it was it, like... It, it, the Mandingo fighting. Because I actually thought that was the most affecting scene in the movie. I, like, I, that, yeah, that really stuck with me even, to, you know... Well, after yeah, the that scene was, was over, it yeah. seemed interminable. Like it was like, oh my gosh, I can't. I, mm-hmm. I, like I want, like, I was almost like, I want some one of these dudes to die because I can't, I can't. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, like that was a horrible <laughs> thought, but it was like, I, it was clear no one was going to stop this fight, right? But it was just getting more and more like uh, gruesome. Um, yeah. But I should, you actually wrote about how that wasn't a thing, or or people haven't been able to verify whether. Yeah, I mean, I even I reached out to Jelani as Jelani as well, um, and he couldn't think of anything and I, and I spoke with a Yale professor and a couple of other um, kind of slavery antebellum south experts and no one had heard of it or were familiar with it and it's it seems that if it did happen 
it may have it was not nearly the booming business right. that no. Jane or Mandingo the movie the from the seventies yeah. purported mm. to be. It, like it, it just it doesn't necessarily make economic sense for them to want them to like they might have the slaves were known to fight each other um in my piece there's a quote from frederick Douglass where it's like boxing for sport was kind of used to like tamper down like during holidays um to tamper down um or to suppress chances of them fight um uprising against slaves it's kind of like used for social control um, but not to the point where one of them would die like you why would you gamble your strongest fighter who could be working in your fields to and gamble, take the chance that that fighter could die? Like, it I guess the only thing that I would that I would say, and I mean, far be it for me to argue, you know, with the historical research, but I guess there's so much about slavery, right? And, you know, what racism that is inconsistent anyway. Um, I mean, just the whole system of like segregation is like financially untenable, right? It's just completely illogical. Yeah. Right? It was like yeah, you have to build two bathrooms for everything, and like you know what I mean. It just, it just, it was just the, the economic yeah. burden was so high. Yeah, sorry. The Mandingo fighting scene also sort. Of, and again, this is me being critical of the movie. Was this like moment where it reinforced like the, a larger sort of cultural fascination with black masculinity? So the way that it was filmed, where we saw like these almost virtually naked, ripped, you know, black men committing violence on each other's bodies um, sort of to me seemed like what came along later after um, the Civil War, which were a lot of narratives about, right, the scary, virile, powerful black men who were, like, violent. And there was this fascination with, like, black male bodies and all this stuff. And so, like, I don't know that I was... I don't know that I thought that that scene in any way... I mean, that scene only affected me in terms of like feeling disgust it didn't affect me in terms of the same feelings that i felt around the actual real portrayals of sort of the torture that was involved in slavery um that one seemed to me like quentin tarantino's personal gaze of like this is what i imagine would happen because i've seen so many black exploitation movies would, would any of those men seem particularly strong though you know what i mean like i mean beyond the the, the you know their physical strength in their you know their brute appearance but like i at no point did i feel like they were like hyper masculine or anything like i didn't feel like you know it, i mean in as much as you'd see chickens which is i mean basically i mean black people were property yeah. right they were chattels so i mean in as much as you'd see chickens fighting or dogs fighting each other i didn't feel like there was anything you know um that he was making any sort of commentary upon black masculinity. I thought it was more a statement on, you know, the perverse, the perverseness of, of slavery, but I don't know. You know, the, a lot of those uh, fighters seemed clearly like, it seemed like they were just like, this is like a really incredibly sad thing they had to do, right? They didn't, I mean, I don't know if I'm reading into that a little bit. I mean, it could be all these things. Yeah, absolutely. Right, 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 right. Yeah, right. yeah I think it can be, I think it can be that and it can also be, because I think, at least for me, also, the scene where Django is hanging upside down naked, and um, the the overseer, whoever he was, you know, is is gonna cut his balls off. Like to me, that scene was just overtly a scene about displaying the black male body and mm -hmm. yeah. black masculinity and treating black masculinity as this like thing that is like untouchable and. That obvious, you know, like, I don't know, like, uh, that, I mean, it's real that, you know, at certain points in history, when black men were tortured, lynched, punished, whatever, 
part of that traditionally was the mutilation of their genitals. So that is not unrealistic, but the way that it was shot, where we pan Django's naked body... Look at the Angelo video. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> his balls off. Eve's hand on his balls while Steven's character is talking to him, telling him, never mind, we're not going to cut his balls off. Like, to me, there was, like, an explicit sort of, like, hyper-masculine blackness um, being called into cue there that sort of, like, this feeds into historical narratives, I think, about black men. But hey, you know, that's how I read it. No, I mean, it's... I, I, I totally see that reading. I don't know. Just the more I think about this movie, the more I think... It, I, I think it might be Tarantino's, like, best movie just because I've never... Like, there's just so much it, to say about yeah, it. absolutely. There's, there's, actually, I've, this is the first movie in a long time. And I saw, you know, I saw Lincoln maybe a few days before. And a movie that's kind of about, supposedly about ideas, right? Like, the, the, ab- the abstract idea of liberty and the abstract idea of, like, slavery. I mean, because, you know, the slavery in the movie is, like, kind of... Yeah. It's, like, all implied. It's, like, you don't ever see it. And that's, like, the big awards bait movie. And this one is just so much more affecting and so much more, like, there's just so much to... There's, a, there's so many more ideas yeah, absolutely. In, in, in this movie. Absolutely. Um, it's so, it's such, a, such a less safe movie. Can I tell you guys what my favorite scene was since I've, like, picked on it no, so no, much? No, no, go for it. My favorite scene was the scene at the end of the second act where Leonardo DiCaprio's character and um, Dr. Dr. Schultz's character are in the library, and Leonardo DiCaprio's character is eating the white cake with the white frosting and offers it to him, and he rejects it. And I thought the symbolism of that scene, of these two white men in a library, which is sort of like symbolically this space of European knowledge, right, eating white cake with white frosting, like the... <laughs> the to me, I thought that there was like this really strong thing happening around whiteness in that space yeah. and in that conversation because then they proceeded to discuss the value of an entire other race of people without anyone who was part of that race being part of the conversation. Mm. You know, mm. that that that's that scene also has two other really interesting scenes. There's, yeah, there's the, the one scene where with the one with the, the harp. harp. Yeah, that the thing the thing with the harp I thought was really Schultz is not going to entertain is like this gentility, right? Like there's a dude walking around with a, a shotgun on his shoulder, and they're actually talking about the bot that's the buying and selling of a person in the scene. And Schultz is like, like this lady's playing Beethoven. And he's like, stop playing the damn harp. You know what I mean? And can I say real quick that I thought I think it's a really, especially since this movie comes right after Inglorious Bastards, I think it's a really interesting choice to get the guy who played your SS, like Jew hunting officer, <laughs> to play essentially like a like a you know. A, I wouldn't call him an abolitionist, but someone who is free to slave. Mm. And then also, I mean, essentially, the actor who plays him got to redeem his right. Mm. Self. And 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 just and just the the movie in that scene with the heart presents sort of like I mean, is presenting sort of like this European, uh, this one particular European culture that would not very much longer become known for sort of insane racism, mm-hmm. right? As mm. sort of very as sort of like the the opposite. I don't know. It's yeah, like, you're right. There's there's a lot of like. Maybe I'm just inserting all this subtext, but it just seems to be a lot of subtext to, like, mm. everything about how that scene's constructed. Right, absolutely. Um, and then there's a the great scene where Schultz is like, you know, Alexander Dumas was black. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 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 I, I guess I, I just kind of real quickly want to go back to Aisha's point about, like, sort of, uh, sort of tailoring this conversation for people who are, like, ignorant of history. Mm. And I guess I just, I don't have any patience for that. You know what I mean? Like, I just, you know, I just feel like every time we we, we discuss slavery or, you know, images and representations of slavery I, get, I sort of get tired of having to like well you know people may be 
they, they may not know this about slavery or they may, you know, they may be ignorant to some of this. And so you're sort of reinforcing these these uh, incorrect narratives. And I guess I sort of get tired of that because, well, I mean, one thing about history is that, like, it's really difficult to reconcile no matter what. Right. Like you, we can't we can't ever really agree on, like, what happens to, in the history of humans. Um, and I mean, you know, I mean, there are people that walked out of the theater or maybe, you know, avoided the film because they wanted to see Confederates win. You know, they, probably, they were, you know, they, they wanted to see Django, you know, have his balls cut off, you know? And so, and, and so, I, I mean, like, even, even in my home state, I'm here in, in Texas right now. And I mean, you know, it wasn't just but a, a couple of years ago that, you know, they're having a battle over, like, what should be included in history books and so on and so forth. So, like, I guess, you know, I'm not so concerned about like what people who don't care about history or are ignorant about history get out of it because I don't think like I mean, if they've gotten to this point and they're going to go see that movie and they don't know anything about the Civil War I don't think that like anything any images or any portrayals that Quentin Tarantino put out there in Django Unchained is going to like influence them one way or another you know yeah exactly for me movies are the way I learn about things and and I mean that in the way that like when I see a movie like Django and Change or like Lincoln <clears throat> or anything that has any sort of like historical connotation, no matter how small that may be, I use it as a jumping off point to go mm-hmm. find out well, what really happened. Mm. And if not everyone does that, that's not my problem. I mean, you're right that it's not your problem, but I, and of course, you know, my framework is coming from the framework as an educator, mm-hmm. right? Somebody who works in an in institution of education. Right. And I, I guess, like, for me, it's the fact that most media audiences are nothing like that. You know, they don't question what they see in the media. They don't go research. They don't try to learn more. People consume very passively. And while that's definitely, at an individual level, not any of our problems that people consume passively, I think it does ultimately have an impact on sort of the racial consciousness of the nation when we try to have larger conversations or for example vote on what should be included in history books or who should be elective or whether we need affirmative action you know there's all these like policy implications that people's opinions about race matter to and i think that's why i care so much about the possibility of people not getting accurate information or not being asked in a way that's more progressive about certain things. Do you think that there's a, right. there's a piece of popular entertainment that has done this thing that you would like to see particularly well? No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and you can, you can point to plenty of example. I mean, because I think you're... The Chappelle show, maybe. Ah, hmm. uh, man, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, that was the whole thing, right? Even he was... He, he, I mean, he was making... When he quit, right, that was part of the, the argument you're making right. is kind of the argument that he was making, right? He's like, I, I don't... I don't know why these motherfuckers laughing, right? You know what I mean, like, so. and, and and sort of like the. I mean, you're absolutely you're absolutely right because the opposite the opposite is really easy to find. I mean, sort, mm. sort of like yeah. like all of American film up until like thirty <laughs> years ago, <laughs> right, 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 is the opposite. That, right. Like people's notions of racial injustice, people's notions of sort of what our past is like have been heavily shaped by mo- by like awful movies like Gone with the Wind. Mm. Or even movies yeah. that were in- well-intentioned like uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Right, right? Right. I mean, he's like, you know what I mean? They're, they're like, obviously like laughably terrible. Though. So what, what, I would say one of the great things about having uh, friends who are mixed race mm. but like can pass is that like crazy things happen to them <laughs> and they tell me <laughs> and it just piques my fascination. And so my, my friend Andrea, who is um, a half Chilean, 
half white, but her mother is like na- native mm. uh, Chilean. So, uh, but she passes white. Was telling me once that she was with a bunch of people she knew in school, and they somehow got on the topic of like slavery. And one of the white kids there said, "Slavery couldn't have been that bad, was it? Because they got fed and they got houses." <laughs> Which, which, as an aside, it's really hilarious that that's, our, that's like, his baseline. <laughs> like, the Holocaust couldn't be that bad. I mean, Jews, they lived places, and Absolutely. they were given food. Um, but, but like, I think I think you're right, Sarah. I, th- I think there's a real... I mean, it's a real thing that representations of any period of history, especially when they're skewed or sort of influenced by, like, in the case of the Civil War, just, like, frankly, like, the uh, like the losing side essentially controlled uh, historical representations yeah. of, of the period for mm-hmm. a century. Right. Um, right, yeah. That really affects the, our culture and our politics in the whole nine yards. I mean, I have a hard time, I have a hard time believing that you, you the, the backlash against the Civil Rights Act would have been so strong if, you know, like, representations of slavery were more like, I don't know, like, you know, even modeling stuff like Glory or Amistad than mm. Song of the or South. Song of the South or mm. Gone with the Wind or whatever. Mm. I, I always, well, I, would... I always finger gone with gone with one because i actually hate that movie <laughs> no, it's actually not a good movie absolutely it's not a good, it's movie. Not a good movie i mean i would like to clarify that I, I do i recognize the power of film and that's part of the reason why i studied film when i was in school mm-hmm. um and obviously movies like birth of a nation woodrow wilson had that quote i think he said it was history like it's like lightning. writing history with lightning yeah. like yeah. that like obviously that affects the way we were perceived in the way that we have been perceived for a very long time. But I also think, and maybe this is just my bias, but I think something like Django Unchained, which I think is trying to do something different and more complex than what I think Tarantino usually does, even if he doesn't succeed the entire time, in instances like that, then I have to say, if you're an audience member and you have to ask, did this really happen or it couldn't have been that bad, then that's on you. And I, and I don't want to trouble myself worrying mm-hmm. you're going to perceive it the wrong way. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly didn't mean to imply that like, you know, that none of this has any power to, you know, to sort of inform larger opinions about things, but you know, I don't want it to get in the way of my all the time to get in the way of my enjoyment of film or media. You know what I mean? So, exactly. all right. So we're supposed to do this for forty minutes. We've done it for an hour. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, can we, Gene? Can we do this again and like talk for forty minutes just about Quentin Tarantino? Because like <laughs> we didn't get to talk about Quentin Tarantino's framing of himself as a filmmaker and framing of the film, like in interviews, mm-hmm. which. I almost am more critical of like how Quentin Tarantino framed himself and framed the film um, than the film itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to talk about that another yeah. time. I'll just, I'll we didn't even get to talk about the use of the word. Oh my gosh, I mean, with the, pe- the people. I didn't think it was. I don't. I just didn't think it was a big deal. I didn't either. I, I, I was. I'm glad y'all said that because I was surprised. Everyone was like, it was gratuitous, and I'm like, and I'm somebody who's like sensitive to the word. Like, and I'm like, I didn't think. I mean, it just felt like it blended into the background. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was gratuitous right. for American films that normally don't include the right, word, absolutely. but I don't. I didn't think that. I didn't. That was the least offensive thing. About <laughs> right. It. I mean, there's a movie where people are being like tortured and maimed right. or whatever, and you know, I, I also felt like you know, Angelani's PC says you know, nigger becomes becomes almost a pronoun. Like, well, it probably was a pronoun, oh, right? It probably was like you know, it probably was actually employed and like like liberally and, and freely and in a way in which like unthinkingly, and people were using it. 
like well, like well, how much like how much for that nigga over there like i mean that would be the way people would have said it right i mean they yeah. wouldn't have said well in one of my favorite books in uh friday night life oh, one of the chapters book. opens with how often they use the word nigger right. like in public settings and that's 1988 yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i'm saying so like you know take that back out 130 years uh i, I just I just can't imagine that they were even more, you know, they were a little bit more cautious about saying it in public settings than, you there, know, that it wouldn't have. There was a PBS documentary on um, James Bird, and in the documentary, the documentary is about the town of Jasper, like, in the aftermath of, of the killing, in which there's these old white people who are just like, I didn't know there was anything wrong with the word. Like, that's what we call them. We just call them niggas. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, God, you know what I mean? This is like 1998, 99, right? I mean, this is like... Jasper, comma, which is, you know, 90 minutes from where I live. Oh, wow. But, yeah. Lucky <laughs> you. Lucky you. Someone, yeah. someone else, real quick, someone else did point out, uh, I don't remember where this was, but they did point out that Tarantino's either the only character, or the only white character in the movie who doesn't use the N-word. Which it's funny, is right? Because quite, quite interesting. Because for me, I had no problem with it in the movie, but I do find pulp, every time I watch Pulp Fiction, oh, like the, I still the, the dead nigger storage scene. Yeah, because yeah. it just it's so unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't serve a purpose. I agree. So, yeah, I, I, but I do think that you know, I I do find it quite fascinating that he, if if that is in fact true, I'd have to go back and watch it to verify. But that if he is the only one who doesn't use the N word. And then he blows himself up, and at the end, like, what what is he trying to say, right, or, yeah. or is he trying to say anything? I, I think the movie is a lot about Quentin Tarantino's personal struggle with race. Yeah. To tell you the yeah. truth, like, I mm-hmm. think a lot of the movie reflects his own conflicted feelings about his whiteness and about race and about a lot of other stuff right. that's I, going down with him. You just, I don't want to like because we could. You're right. We could talk about this for a long time, <laughs> but I think I think sort of like his, his sort of two sides. And on one hand, Quentin Tarantino is a man who was clearly he clearly grew up in black, like steeped in sort of black popular culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like from the music and the soundtracks and the movies, he sort of is referencing just like anachronistic. Yeah, just like Quentin Tarantino's popular cultural upbringing is obviously just rooted in sort of like the sev- like the black seventies mm-hmm. and the black sixties. But he seems to be self-aware enough to know that he's a, a white dude. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Just like on one hand, I want to make fun of him as like the kid at your high school who was really in the Wu Tang Clan and thought he was down. <laughs> um, yeah. But on the other hand, he, like Quentin Tarantino is clearly more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Or, but maybe that kid's complicated too. I mean, I don't want to disparage that kid. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I want to thank you all for for doing this with us. Um, thank you, Aisha and Sarah, for joining us. Yeah. Pleasure. You can follow uh, Aisha on Twitter at uh, Crafting My Style. You can follow Sarah at SJJBHD. You can follow Joel at Blacking12. Follow Jamel at JBowie, J B O U I E. You can follow me at GD215. On behalf of the PB fam and our special guest this week, we'll see you in two weeks. Be easy. Our theme music is Nick's Groove by The Foreign Exchange. You can catch us on Facebook at facebook.com slash postbougie, on Twitter at postbougie, and of course, at our home at postbougie.com. Done. 
Are we giving away spoilers or are we not giving away spoilers? No, we just we assume I'm, I'm gonna edit in a little uh, disclaimer at the beginning saying like if you ain't watched the fucking movie, you don't want to. You, you're not gonna watch this conversation. I don't understand somebody who says to themselves, "Oh, these people are like listening to us talking about a movie I've never seen. I'm gonna listen I'm to listening it anyway. <laughs> you get what you deserve. <laughs> what you deserve. I should punch you dead in your chest for spoiling this movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 